Lindsay and Mendes from TSN 1200. You're listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. All right, How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensen. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's going pretty good, although uh, we had some real bullshit this morning. It was negative one. Oh, really? Did you get any snow or just m- minus but weather? We were supposed to get... If we were supposed... To, if we got the precipitation we were, they were calling for, we would have had dust in the snow, but... No, nah, and it got warmer this afternoon, so not that big of a deal, and it's supposed to go back to spring-like temperatures for the rest of the week, so it's good, it's good, but it's just like, man, I thought winter was done. Well, it's funny, because in southern Ontario, they had snow a couple of days ago, because I know our bot Adam DM'd me a photo of his backyard, and it snowed a little bit, and it was gone within like 20 minutes, so it obviously didn't stick. Yeah, exactly, but it's still like, come on. So, Tim, I'm really happy that we get to get together today, not just because today is our shooting the shit episode, but also because it's the first time in a couple of weeks that we've actually gotten together to talk. And I hope all the listeners out there are staying safe with your social distancing and, you know, all your pre-precautions for this COVID pandemic we're in the middle in. But I want to actually try to do something a little different for this episode, Tim, because, you know, it's been about, give or take, five or six weeks that we have ever that we've actually looked at any hockey-related stories, to be honest. Yeah, well, it's the league's been in a weird limbo place since uh, hockey basically just stopped about 60 days ago. Yeah, I would say about that. So, usually, like, we would use this kind of segment for top of the hour. And you know what? Just for old times' sake, Tim, I'm thinking maybe I'll... Uh, you know, maybe I'll break out the Peace Tower sound effect right now. Yeah. God, it's really nice to hear that once again, Tim. It's been a long time. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because the gears are definitely moving in the hockey world, and uh, some states are even moving towards opening it up a bit. And I know uh, Alberta's first phase open up is coming up this week, so uh, maybe we're getting closer to having hockey back. Yeah, same thing here in BC. It's the exact same way. So we do have a couple of stories that we need to talk about. Now, of course, this past week in the hockey world, yeah, this is uh, this is a story that happened, folks. The Washington Capitals have placed Brendan Lipsick on unconditional waivers following the reveal of misogynistic comments made in a private group chat. Lipsick recorded three goals, eight assists for 11 points in 61 games for the Washington Capitals in the 2019-20 NHL season. Yeah, that looks like it's just assholes being assholes, really. You know, I read this story. Part of me is not that surprised because there is some of those assholes in hockey, but still, it's 2020. Did we not learn anything from these leaked DMs of professional athletes that end up ending their career? Yeah, 
I guess it's if you're gonna be an asshole, do it in person. But even that though, like if you're an asshole in person, then you know that word of mouth is gonna get around. It's with DMs, it's different because you have a visual aid that you can see these comments. Well, a DM makes it per- permanent and leaves the paper trail to hang it with, right? But the other thing is, is it's it's kind of funny because it does reveal kind of the two tiered nature of this sort of thing, where. Uh, Patrick Kane goes around beating cabbies. Evander, Evander Kane has just cut a rumor sheet miles long, and they're fine because they're good at hockey. This guy's replacement level, so he's gone. So I think the lesson here is if you're good, it doesn't matter. Yeah, and it's really a shame because, honestly, and you're absolutely right, it's athletes who are very good at what they do. It seems like these kind of actions... I don't want to say go unnoticed, but they tend to sweep it under the rug. And most notably, if you were watching The Last Dance, you would know that there was all these accusations against Michael Jordan and his gambling habit. <clears throat> and really, this was well known. Like, this stuff was known to the public. How he treated teammates was known to the public. But the media tried their best to not make it as big of a deal because it was... Michael Jordan doing this? Well, it's the same thing with R. Kelly back in the mid-2000s. That's true. People are willing to sweep it under the rug, as the boot doc said, because he's good. I know. But it's funny. And then, of course, right around that time that happened, that song Ignition came out, which was like a huge hit for him. But you know what? I mean, you could look at musical acts that did the same thing. Athletes are no different. And... There was actually an article, I think it was in like the Winnipeg Sun. I didn't get a chance to read it. Um, I read a little bit of what the headline was saying. And it was about the branded lipstick stuff. And the, the writer was saying, well, why is it that we're looking at branded lipstick doing this? And yet a guy like Bobby Hall pretty much was doing stupid shit like this in his time. And yet nobody's commenting on it. Well, to be fair, it, it's done. Who cares? And I think with these sort of things, it is kind of, I don't think I care. Like, uh, because again, what difference does it make in my life that a hockey player is an asshole? Like, I get it. These people are supposed to be role models. And when it comes out, yeah, you got to discipline the guy. So you have role models for the kids, but yeah, it's, I don't really get why this blew up the way that it did on Twitter other than uh, people get to try and show who's the most pure for another hour. It's I can't really get all that excited about it, to be honest. Well, it's tough, A, because hockey's been gone for about two, three months now, so really it's hard to kind of get excited about stuff like this when this... Not to say like we were excited to begin with when the news stories like this or when the Slava Voinov stuff came out years ago. With, or Grapes, even. Or Don Cherry, or hell, even Jeremy Roenick's comments on Spit and Chicklets. But, you know, you're absolutely right. Like These players are held to a higher standard because, A, they are professional athletes. They make millions of dollars. They're supposed to be viewed as role models to younger generations. And I know that there's a very famous quote Charles Barkley said. He says that, Athletes aren't role models. It says we shouldn't be the role models for your kids. You should be the role model for your kids. I mean, for sure, but who's cooler, dad or the guy who uh, kid do a through the through the legs alley oop slam dunk? Probably not. 
So, and obviously the story has a ripple effect because Brendan's brother, Brandon, plays for the University uh, University of Manitoba, I believe. And after these comments got made, he was told that he got kicked off the hockey team because of what his brother said. Yeah. Although, to be fair, if you're playing Canadian collegiate sports, it's not like you were going anywhere anyway. No, and usually, as we've seen being Sens fans and being hockey fans for a long time, is that a lot of the kids who make it to the pros from college hockey usually come out of the States. Like they oh, yeah, because come out of NCAA like, money. Exactly. They come out of like Boston College or Boston University, or they come out of whatever big school that hockey has, or uh, University of Wisconsin, Minnesota. UND is getting a big program now. Yeah, UND, and well, actually, both North and South Dakota both have uh, very big hockey programs there. So, yeah. Joey Decord coming from Arizona of all places, Arizona State. Yeah, actually, it's yeah. funny. One of the guys that drop in hockey actually attends Arizona State University. He played for the team. Nice. It is a good school. Like most of the state systems are pretty good, to be honest. But it's just one of the things that living in Canada, you do kind of. Canadian universities, with the exception of the big two or three, do tend to take second fiddle to the Air American counterparts, and that's just kind of a fact of life. And this is no insult to Canadian collegiate players. American collegiate sports and Canadian collegiate sports are definitely kind of two different worlds. Exactly. Just because of the money involved. Yeah, exactly. It's a massive difference. It all comes down to the funding of these programs, right? And obviously, you know, you can look at definitely NCAA's funding when it comes to basketball and football. I mean, look oh, how especially many... tier one. Holy shit. Yeah. I mean, uh, what was it? ESPN or, or whoever has not or TNT or whoever down in the States, like for the, uh, f- for their big sweet 16 tournament, like they spend like what? $11 billion just for that tournament. Yeah. That's under how many salary caps you could go. NHL teams you could fund with that tournament. Because uh, you get $78 million for each team. So that's about... Yeah, two teams is $150 million to get to $11 billion times that by 10. Yeah, so you're looking at about half the half the teams of the league. You could fit them under the salary cap for that. Yeah, and that's just for 10 days. Yeah. That, that's not for an entire year. That's for 10 days of basketball. Yeah, and that's not even all the schools. So, Tim, let's turn our attention to some Ottawa Senators news. Because we actually have some sense stuff to talk about. The Ottawa Senators have signed Artem Zub to a one-year entry-level contract. Zub recorded 13 goals, 9 assists for 22 points, and 57 games for SKA, St. Petersburg, of the KHL. So, I feel like this was announced like five times. It's really weird, and we talked about, I think we we must have talked about this on the show, that, like, honestly, you're absolutely right. It seems like since... January, February, like we kept hearing that, oh, the Ottawa Senators won the Artem Zub sweepstakes. And that was it. There was like no formal announcement from the team they signed them. There was no formal, any formal announcement from either the KHL team or the Sens or anything regarding the signing until it officially came that he was signing on April 30th. Yeah, and then even uh, before that, I think there was an announcement to say that the two teams had uh, come to an an understanding, but they couldn't until they could sign the official agreement and a bunch of stuff like that. Yeah, so basically, it was more of a a verbal 
agreement that when your contract ends with this team, you're signing with our team. Yeah, it's just such a bizarre situation, eh? Well, the funny thing, and I wanted to talk a little bit about this, because when when I finally heard the Senators were officially signing him, the one thing I'm thinking is, oh, okay, I, I wonder what kind of contract they gave him, they're going to give him, because of the last couple of years, the big one coming out of the KHL was... Vladimir Shepakoinov for the Vegas Golden Knights. Remember he signed that big contract. He played, what, two weeks for that team, and he just said, fucking him out? Yeah, that, yeah, because he wasn't getting the big the big minutes he thought he was going to get. Yeah, and so when he signed, and same thing with Shepakoinov, I'm thinking, are, is he going to get a big contract from the Sens the way he did? And I saw a one-year entry-level contract. I'm like, oh, okay, that's... It's interesting. And there must be, I don't know. Like, it just seems kind of weird for this guy who obviously put up very, very good numbers in the KHL last season to only sign a one-year contract to come to the NHL. Well, I mean, this is your breakout year. And even, like, half parlay it, you'll probably be able to get a, a nice million dollar, million or more so dollar contract going forward and you get to be paid in American dollars and live in the U S or Canada instead of Russia. True. But I don't know. Maybe it was just me. Maybe because I was looking at this thinking that's kind of weird because I was honestly expecting maybe a three year contract worth X millions of dollars. And all of a sudden it's one year at what? 700,000. And that's probably just his base salary. That's maybe not including bonuses. If there's any involved with that. Yeah, but at the same time, like, you gotta hand it to Dorian that I think it's a really smart move because you get a body in just on the right side, which is weak. It's one year low commitment, and if it works out great, if it doesn't, oh well, you've given a bit more time to Bernard Docker, Lassie Thompson, and all of them. Yeah, and that was the thing that when I heard we were gonna sign him was that I was looking at the depth chart and I'm thinking, okay, it's a clear cut that Zaitsev's number one. I know some fans aren't happy about that, but it's true. Zaitsev is number one right shot defenseman on the team. Which is kind of sad. But we're in a rebuild. Exactly. Yeah, you'll have Artem Zub, I would imagine, second pairing possibly with Eric Branstrom next season. And then there's the question mark at third pairing right shot. Does Lassie Thompson finally make his debut? I don't think he does. If If he comes over next season, my personal thoughts, he's going to be in the AHL a full Uh season just so he can get fully situated to playing in the North American style of hockey. So this is a really interesting one because I was thinking to myself, I was like, you know, I I really would like to know what the Sens are going to do in the off season come to free agency. Are they going to go for a low risk third? Well, we'll let it either side as well. True. That should help. That's true. But you know what? I don't know. Maybe, do they bring up Lennon, like you're saying? Do they go out and maybe get a low-risk guy, maybe a one-year guy, let Lassie Thompson come into the minors and bring him up? Maybe Hainsey plays another year. I don't know. Do you really want Ron Hainsey probably for another year? I mean, if we get another high draft pick, it might be worth it. Yeah. And Ron Hainsey, as much as Ron Hainsey's best days are behind him, if he is a Philip Kuba sort of influence... Or like a Sergei Gonchar. Not the worst thing in the world. No. Because I think one thing uh, 
I wouldn't be happy with is having Andreas Engal and anything more than a seventh defenseman. No, and here's actually an interesting option that, and I heard this on another podcast, is what if they were to pair Thomas Shabbat with Eric Branstrom? Because Eric Branstrom has stated that he will play on the right side, but the problem is is that the team doesn't want to put him on the right side. A, because he's a left shot. That would kind of make sense. There's a continuity on the left side. But say they put Shabbat and Branstrom together, that's a pretty high offense D pairing right there. And because of all the left shot defensemen we have in our system right now, we have Max Lejoie, we have Chris Luanen, we have... Oh, who the fuck else do we have? You have Borvieski. So you can juggle around the defense pairing in that if you want to use, say, Zaitsev as your second pair and Zub as your third pair. Right yeah. Defenseman. Well, that's the nice thing with, like, uh, from being willing and Willan being able is you do have a bit of... You have a flexibility, especially with... Bert, I think Berner Docker is doing another year in college. Uh, Lassie Thompson probably taking time for the AHL route. So uh, you get a... There's a lot of time to work with then. Honestly, I, I do like the signing because the other thing is, is if Zub does work out, I think you probably have Zub go above Zay. You probably have Zub push Zaitsev. Yeah, because I would say if Zub succeeds for the Senators and then come the expansion draft in 2021 for the Seattle expansion, they could probably leave Nikita Zaitsev unprotected at that point. Yeah, probably. Uh, the other thing that could work... You know, or if uh, compliance buyouts come, they could it could come to that. They could do that, but I mean, well, obviously we have the cap room right now, but say in a few years when Brady to Chuck extension... No, no, compliance buyouts. What do you mean? So the compliance buyouts that came uh, with the last, I believe it was lockout CBA change, each team got a compliance buyout. So uh, you got to buy out a pl- one of your contracts, and the the buyout did not count against the cap. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it would. I think a compliance buyout for that sort of long contract, like Zaitsev's, would be very appealing to uh, both Dorian and Eugene Melnick because it it gets a an under, a, pl- a player with a bad contract off the books, and it reduce it re- makes it a small cash flow over a long period of time, which would be appealing to Melnick. Okay, yeah, I tend to forget that that's actually an option right now. But no, I, I mean, would, well, it might be. If it's not an option, then who knows? But I think with the way the season's going, especially considering the loss of revenue that both the NHL and the AHL have seen, the AHL actually canceled the rest of their season today. I would be very surprised if uh, there was no compliance bio because there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to have a lot of problems trying to fit under the same salary cap for next season. Yeah, I can see that. But the thing, I, the point I was trying to make here with Nikita Zaitsev and a buyout is that, say we don't have that compliance buyout, as you're saying, when the big contracts for, well, Colin White and Shabbat will already be kicked in, but say you have Brady Chuck kicks in, Anthony Declare's contract, you have a few other players that kick in, are you really wanting to pay that buyout on Zaitsev's contract? given that we might not have that cap space in, say, exactly. three, four years. That's and that's what, I'm th- and that's what the thought I was going with, right? And that's where yeah. I wasn't even thinking about the compliance buyout, and that's the point I was trying to make, right, was that... Like, if it's uh, a regular buyout, forget it. Exactly. If you're the Senators, do you really want to do that? 
and then you have to pay Zaitsev because I think he has four years left, if I'm not mistaken, three years. Yeah, and I think the other thing is his contract is also not exactly the nicest for buying out. Like, uh, let me check how this sucker is structured. Oh, yeah, it's... Well, it's straight salary for two of the next three... Two of the next four years on it. Okay. So it might not be too bad to buy it out. Uh, but he's got... Oh, is that a... Oh, it's a modified NTC. Yeah, so its annual buyout cost is $1.6 million. Yeah, so you get four years of a million dollars bought out after for uh, four years of $3 million in cap saving. So it is a bit dicey. Mm-hmm. So, Tim, we're going to turn our attention to the NHL draft lottery because over the last couple of weeks, we've actually been hearing about the NHL is currently looking. They haven't confirmed anything yet, but there is a talks that they are looking at redoing how the draft lottery works. So basically from what I understand, they're going to go back to the, the way it was in 2012. So I'm going to just open up the floor and we can talk about this because regardless, and for one, I understand how this is going to work out if they decide to go with it the way it was in 2012. This actually puts the Ottawa Senators in a much better situation than it would if we had the old draft. Because if the old draft, the worst we would have done, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, I think it is fourth and fifth. Yeah. And this changes our worst outcome to third and fourth. Yeah, so basically, there's four players on my hand. There's Lafreniere, Byfield, Stutzel, and Jimmy Drysdale. We're getting two out of those four. Oh, yeah. If they do this. The other thing that's been suggested is uh, they rework the the thing so that there's a draft lottery only for teams that aren't in the expand. If they do an expanded playoffs instead of a points percentage playoffs, it would only be the seven teams that didn't make the playoffs if they expand to 24. And then again, only one team wins it. So the Senators would still have the best chance mm-hmm. because uh, the league has been going. There's been a lot of different structures that have been rumored by the league and apparently one of the teams that wasn't happy with just having the original draft set up was uh, the Montreal Canadiens. So, of course, the league goes back to the drawing board there. But And one of the big things the league was concerned about, apparently, was uh, they really don't want a situation where a team wins the first overall pick and is also able to win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, because that's not fair at that point, right? It's... Well, and that would also be a huge black eye for the NHL because say you have a team in the draft lottery, they win Lafreniere, they go on and win the cup, and it's like, what the hell is this? I thought if you were the worst team in the NHL, you get the best odds to win the number one pick, not the team that goes on to win the cup. Anyway. Well, I think my big issue is uh, I think the modern draft lottery is too too punitive. Like, why is it only that... Like, you have an absolute dog shit season like Detroit. And I get the idea is to prevent tanking, but all you do is you get these teams, get they get stuck in medioc- mediocrity. Like, look at the Sabres, look at the Oilers. Like, Edmonton's the funniest one is they had all those firsts and they still didn't do anything with it. You get stuck. Because, yeah, if you're not winning those firsts, you're getting maybe third, fourth, and 
not every year is going to be this year where the top 10 is just absolutely stacked with talent. Yeah, but the thing is, when it comes to, like, the Sabres and the Oilers winning all those first-round picks is that, yes, they get those players, but it's up to the teams to now figure out a way to build a winning team around them. And I think that's the one thing that I have to say the Oilers have done a terrible job at. The Sabres have done a terrible job at, despite some of the splash moves the Sabres have made, like... They brought in Jeff Skinner. They brought in Evander Kane. They brought in players like this where on paper, when you're reading this, it's like, wow, like that's not a bad trade. You know, you got Jeff Skinner. He put up some really good numbers and now you're throwing fucking what? $9 million at him for next season. And he's like, Oh good God. So now you have what? Almost $20 million tied up in two players. Yeah. Well, I mean, in fairness, Edmonton's yeah. doing the same thing, right? Because you have McDavid getting paid $10 million. You have Dreisaitl getting paid, what, eight and a half? Close yeah, to but that nine. eight and a half for Dreisaitl is going to be a fucking steal. True, but again, like, it goes back to saying to that... Martyr. Yeah, that's true. But the thing is, it's like, okay, well, how do you now build a team there when you when your two top players yeah, but are getting paid a big... Centers. Like... Pittsburgh has won how many cups with just Crosby, Malkin, Latang being a very big chunk of their cap? That's true. But the thing is, is that Pittsburgh were using some weird, probably voodoo magic that they just, they threw anybody onto the ice and they just shot out a winner. To be fair, I think McDavid and Dreisaitl will be able to do that as well. You just need to get them some guys. And, uh, at this point, like, the hard part for Edmonton right now is just cleaning up the Shirelli mess. Yeah, and I think that, honestly, Ken Holland, if I'm being perfectly honest, in his one year at Edmonton, is actually doing not a bad job at it, to be perfectly Oh, yeah. Because, honestly, in that trade deadline that they brought in, who did he bring in? He brought in Tyler Ennis. He brought in a not overly great Mike Green, admittedly, but still a better defenseman than what they have. And they bring in uh, Athens and Fina CU. Yeah, which, like, those are guys that can't, will be able to work with McDavid. And uh, if I remember correctly, Edmonton was doing pretty good, right? Like, yeah, their last five, like, their last ten, they were winning. It's true. And remember when the first game the Oilers played post-trade deadline, we said in our trade deadline episode, it'd be like, can you imagine if, the Oilers were to pair Athena CU and Tyler Ennis with Connor McDavid. First game oh. back, that's who they paired together. And you and I were looking at each other like, holy shit, I think we think we are like wizards. We called it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's that's a thing. Well, like, part of it is Edmonton's also playing in a pretty weak division. True, but I mean, that division is getting better, though, because the Canucks are getting better. Gold, Vegas is still strong. It's just a matter of what do you do with the teams in California now because all three of them are not going to be rebuilding. That's the and big... We- and one of them gave Ottawa their good pick. Oops. Uh, whoops. It's, I don't know. I still well, can't get over Detroit. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't... In 71 games. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Doug Wilson go out and get a first-round pick anyway? I believe he got a first-round pick. Remember who's... Let's go. Let's go find that. All right. Yeah, so you do that. And obviously, 
I'll talk a little bit about that. But another big thing for Edmonton and Buffalo, the big problem that they have that Pittsburgh didn't is that a number of players have put in their contracts in their don't Oh, they got do- Tampa's. Oh, Tampa's? Okay, so that's a little pick. Right, for Barkley Goodrow. boy. Ah, I remember that one now. But the thing, the thing about uh, Buffalo and Edmonton is that they're two cities that players tend to not want to go to. Whereas, whereas in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's such a different city because you have that recent success. You have that recent history to them. You know, you can look at, okay, well, this is a team that had two of the greatest players of all time on there. But, Tay, let me put it to you this way. Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But still. And then, not the re- rounding out the rest of your forwards, you have Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Andreas Anthony Kaylor Yamamoto, and Tyler Ennis. Yeah, but, I don't know. For Edmonton, I think it's more, do they keep Ennis, though? That's the big thing. Yeah. Well, no, but still, even if you don't keep Ennis, your, your top six is still sitting pretty darn pretty, even if it's just... Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Connor McDavid, Kaylor Yamamoto, Andreas Anthony Leon Dreisaitl, and Zach Cassian's warm body. Yeah, that's fine. But no, it's still a matter of get, getting good players, but also get players that go to Edmonton and don't want to leave the first chance they get. True. And I think uh, all they really need is to kind of puff up the defense a little bit because their left side is looking pretty, is looking decent, not great with Clefbaum and Nurse. They just need to figure out their right side because that Adam Larson trade is still not looking all that good. No, it's not looking good, but I don't know. I mean, honestly, there's no way that could have looked good in the process as Taylor Hall goes to New Jersey. Yeah, he became a Hart Trophy winner. Yeah, he made the playoffs like once, and now he's in the desert. Oh, yeah, And yet Adam Larson is still in Edmonton. I mean, at the same time, they probably could have gotten a bit more for a bit more from it. Adam Larson has been I don't think he's like he's been kind of trending down. Part of that might just be well, even this year on a reasonably decent team where the Edmonton's defense isn't a complete train wreck. And he's trending down is a bit worrying. Yeah, that's true. I'll give you that. So, Tim, do you have any comment? more comments you want to make on this little, I guess, abbreviated top of the hour? Um, I guess one of the things that's just really in- interesting about this draft is that I don't, I think as long as they go away from uh, all the teams having a shot and three balls being in, in play, I think the Senators win. If it's teams can only move up one move up one slot, the Senators have a pretty bound. They're bounded at third four. If there's only seven teams in the lottery, the Senators are pretty well bounded, and either way have the best odds because they have two picks instead of one. True, and two high picks. So think of it this way: I mean, say regardless if we go one and three or two and four, we're getting a combo of say Lafreniere with Byfield or Stutzel. Or, two and four, where you go Byfield, Stutzel, and then number four is Drysdale. Yeah, and one of the nice things is uh, Lafreniere did say he wanted to play in Ottawa. 
Yeah, well, in, in fairness, I mean, it is very, very close to his home in Quebec, so it makes a lot of sense for him to come to Ottawa. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I just want this draft to be over with, you know. True, I just want the lottery to happen just so I can get excited. Yeah, and, like, that's the thing is even if the Sens lose, it's there's still two very good players coming Ottawa's way. Very true. So, Tim... Um, actually... Do you want to talk a bit more about the AHL shuttering for the season? Uh, you know what? I was going to say, maybe we'll take a quick break, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about it in our shooting the shit at segment. Yeah. Okay. So, guys, we're going to take a really quick break here in the Third Line Flick Sensecast, and we will return to Shoot the Shit. Coming right back. Hey, this is Jamie McLennan from TSN, and you're listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. Okay, we are back. Now, Tim, before we hit break here, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about the American Hockey League's cancellation of the 2019-2020 season today. So let's get right into it, Tim. Now, this really, really sucks for the Belleville Senators because, honestly, you look at that team, and I think it's safe to say this is probably the best team the Binghamton slash Belleville Senators have ever put together since 2011. Yeah, since the, their Calder win back in 2011. And uh, it's interesting because uh, I was reading, I was in Greg Wazinski, and he was saying that uh, the AHL is even more of a turnstile league than some of the, some of the NHL teams. Like 80 to 75 to 80% of their revenue comes from turnstiles. Like, that's crazy. So, like, like a playoff without fans is just not viable. No, it's not. And you're absolutely right. A lot of that revenue does come from the ticket sales, people coming through the turnstiles. But the American Hockey League, unfortunately, unlike the National Hockey League, they just don't have that kind of funding where they can honestly play in front of empty arenas. The other interesting thing will be is a lot of uh, AHL teams just they also just don't have a lot of players under contract this year. I believe uh, for the 2021 season, I read somewhere currently only 80 players are under contract, but that's going to change as teams fill out their rosters and the, the actual like, season particulars are figured out. The hard thing is going to be uh, if we're social distancing into December, January, and even if we're not social distancing and people are just kind of gun shy about going in public, you're probably going to see some teams hold. Well, especially down in the South, like with teams like Carolina, Florida, Arizona, where they're already, str- they were for a long time struggling to attract well, like, fans to come to games. Like and now. The Houston Arrows and shit like that. Or the Ontario Rain are probably some of the more marginal teams. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but even with the NHL, right? And you can. That would put those teams under huge financial stress because. Like the American Hockey League, a lot of their revenue also comes from fans coming to the games. Yeah. But they also have the other way of you have their merchandise sales, you have other kinds of revenue, including TV deals, including, I would imagine, streaming services, internet services, you would have that as well. I just don't, and you're absolutely right, I don't see the American Hockey League, like, surviving, Especially with some of those teams, like you're saying, Houston and some of these teams that 
they really thrive on the ticket sales. Well, I think what will probably happen is uh, the NHL is probably going to have to find ways to make those make those TV revenues go further because they can't. Like, if the NHL goes down, they're probably going to have to prop up a league because that is the big team's development systems. Mm-hmm. So, so you're probably going to see, uh, like, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the richer teams like the Maple Leafs or the Canadians of the league start pouring more money into AHL affiliates, even not only their own, like Marley's and Laval, but uh, other teams just to prop them up so the development system remains intact. Yeah, and you'll have like an AHL emergency fund where all the teams would have a share of that fund money. Yeah, and that's 100% the thing is thing to watch is going to be uh, how the NHL responds to a looming AHL crisis. Yeah. So... Sorry, just talking about the 2011 Binghamton Senators. I just quickly looked up their stats here, and honestly, well, hindsight would dictate that the 1920 Belleville Senators was better talent-wise because, you see, we had, you know, Batherson, Shalopic, Josh Norris. You had all these young guys in our system, whereas you look at the 2011 team, like, you... You, I mean, you obviously had guys that did make the sends. Like, you had Casper Doggins was on the team. Andre Benoit was on the team. Eric Condra, Colin Greening, Mike Hoffman was on that team. But still, you look at the current Belleville sends, and it's like, oh, yeah, that team could probably whip this team, even though Corey Locke had 86 points in 69 games as a leading scorer. And uh, Mark Borvisky only played five games, 21 penalty minutes, minus two. Minus no, sorry. Two. He was uh, six penalty minutes minus two. Yeah, just look at some of the the people who were on who played some time on that team. It's it, kind of crazy. Like yeah, like Eric Condor, Roman Wick, Colin Breathing, Bobby Butler. Yep, Zach Smith. Zach Smith, Cody Bass, Weird Kosh, Hoffman, Drzinski. Former so like, third line play sense cover athlete, by the way. Yep, there's just a. It's like a who's who of. Uh, people who had ever been around the senders like i believe robin laner and barry brust had or they definitely had a run that year i would imagine so yeah so it's uh yeah cory Locke. but uh, yeah 26 he kind of knew there was nothing really coming out of him anymore after that Mm-mm. so tim do you have any more comments you want to make on the american hockey before we officially just start shooting the shit for today's episode uh not that i can think of although man i was jazzed about this year's ahl team i know they that was the one big bright spot for this year's team is that honestly while you look at the sends on the nhl side and you think wow like this team's not being very good like we're near the bottom of the our division bottom of the conference whatever And obviously there's Detroit who, uh, you know, just decided to take the whole basement to themselves. But, you know, that's the thing. I mean, even with the American Hockey League side of it, like you saw a lot of brightness there. Like you saw all of our young guys finally really coming into their own in the American Hockey League. And given that last year, I, I tend to forget coming into last season, this was the year that all of our young guys were supposed to be on this team. Like, we were supposed to see Drake Batherson. We were supposed to see Logan Brown. We were supposed to see Philip Shalopic and 
whoever young guys we had on the roster, and yet five games in, Batherson was the only one left. Although it was interesting just the way DJ Smith kind of rotated people in to see what he had. So, like, we did end up, we saw a decent amount of Connor, of Logan Brown. We saw a decent amount of Josh Norris. We saw a decent amount of Batherson. True, but at the beginning of the season, they were all expected to play the full season. Oh, yeah. And I guess maybe people thought DJ Smith was going to be some sort of lame duck coach that says, yeah, I've got like a three-year contract. They're not going to fire me. I'll just throw them all out there. Whereas he took the other, the different approach where he looked at what he had and said, okay, this guy's playing well. These guys need to be in the American Hockey League. This guy's no confidence. And he was very fair with the, with the team. <clears throat> yeah. Although it's, I, I also think uh, before this season even started in it, I don't think anyone saw Nemestikov or Connor Brown showing up. No, I, well, I think because with Connor Brown, I don't really think the Senator fans really knew what they had in Connor Brown. And it's funny because, again, the only time we ever watched the Leafs is when they were playing us. Yeah. That's a very fair thing to say, that the only time we watched the Leafs is when they're playing us. And when we got Connor Brown, a lot of Leaf fans were saying this was the guy that they were really sad to see him go. <clears throat> and if they re-sign Connor CC, sorry, Cody CC, I will laugh. But uh, yeah, Connor, I, I've been pretty happy with the Connor Brown pickup, and I think uh, if he remains in like the second, like that middle six sort of role, that's a great pickup for the Sens for essentially taking on Nikita Zaitsev's shitty contract and the Leafs taking on Cody CC and Ben Harper and Ben Harper. Ben Harper. Well, you know what? It, it's funny. And I was looking at Trevor Shackles on Twitter either last night or two nights ago, and he did his updated list of trades that Pierre Dorian has made since he's arrived in Ottawa. And there's a, a few trades I didn't necessarily agree with his ranking. Number one, I didn't agree with the ranking he gave the Hoffman for Bocker trade because the Senators were never going to win that. He gave it a 2 out of 10. I don't necessarily... As a trade itself, I can see why he would give it a two, but I think that's, I don't know if that's kind of an asterisk trade to me because Mike Hoffman lost all his trade value the second oh, yeah. the stuff with his girlfriend came out. But the other one I actually kind of disagreed with was the CC for Zaitsev and Brown one where he put four out of ten. And I wanted to comment on I said, you know, I don't necessarily agree with that. I would have honestly put it at maybe a five and a half. Because we've seen how well Connor Brown played the Sens, and where there are definitely the fan base who were not Zaitsev fans last season. I didn't think he played as badly, I think, as a lot of people were expecting. He, he still played pretty bad. He wasn't great, but in fairness, and I always look at it this way. After how many years of Cody CC making such egregious errors on the ice... Was Nikita Zaitsev and his problems really that bad? Yeah, he was not a great player, but well, who would you rather have? Would you rather have Nikita Zaitsev doing what he's doing? Or Cody Ceci just completely anchoring everybody down? That is very fair. Because, like... And when it came to that trade, that's why, honestly, last season... Like, if you go back and listen to our third season, Tim... What's the one thing I rarely ever commented on was the play of Nikita Zaitsev because I always kind of gave him a pass because I'm thinking, 
we saw how bad Cody Cece played. There's no way this guy could be worse than him. If and he if he was worse than him, is Cody Cece managed to be bad offensively on the fucking Maple Leafs. That's true. Oh, you know what's hilarious? I really laughed. Oh, I thought it was so amazing. Four games in, Leaf fans wanted to ship CC out of town. It was like, I'm like, you guys are stuck with him. Well, I mean, at least they only have him on a one-year contract. Unless like, he... Dubas can cut him loose. But then again, where are they going to get a... They're not going to get a cheap defense like they have this year because Tyson Berry's gone, CC's gone. And yet, that, like, their right side is going to be a bit of a hole. Yeah. And you, you know what's funny? I was thinking about Tyson Berry last week because at the moment, it doesn't look like he's going to return to the Leafs next season. And they can't afford him. That too. But I even if they could afford him, did he really have that great of a season for the Leafs to want to bring him back? At what he will command? No. And here's what I was thinking, because I, I know this is never, ever going to happen, but given how weak we are on the right side, I wouldn't mind having Tyson Berry for, say, a two-year contract. Because, honestly, if, say, that was before Zob officially signed with us, but, but that's the thing with him, is that who do you pair him with? Do you pair him with Shabbat, or do you pair him with Brandstrom? Yeah, that's true. Although it's like, I think Sh- Shabbat is actually pretty darn good in his own end. So I think uh, Shabbat plus Tyson Berry. Tyson Berry would be pretty darn good because Shabbat's better in his own end than Morgan Riley is. True, and well, I think when it comes to Riley versus. Shabbat is that the Leafs really aren't expecting Morgan Raleigh to be a defensive defenseman. They're expecting him to put up points. Mm-hmm. And he's doing that for the Leafs. He's absolutely doing that for Toronto. And while I do agree, his defensive side of the game maybe isn't as great. But again, you can say the same thing about Tyson Berry. He had that criticism against him in Colorado. They had the same thing in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's a funny thing, but I think it's Shabbat's offense is just going to get better. And it's already good. Oh, I know, it's so good. So good. Uh, I can't remember who it was on Twitter. Uh, it might have been like Steve Warren or somebody from TSN. He quote tweeted a clip of Paul Coffey because I think Sportsnet or, or TSN or whoever it was, they're doing their replay of the 87 Canada Cup. And they commented watching Paul Coffey skate. He says, the one thing I see, this guy plays a lot like Thomas Shabbat does now. That is, that is really good. Uh, that's a really good company to keep. Actually, I think Shabbat ha- ended up with, well, I guess it's easy to put up points if you're getting all the time in the world. But Thomas Shabbat with 39 points, I believe is more than uh, Morgan Riley ended up putting up. So uh, there's that. Yeah, so it's, uh, honestly, we're blessed with Thomas Shabbat. Thomas Shabbat is 20. I think he's 21. Give me 20 this year. Like, he's still filling in. Like, Morgan Riley only put up 27 points this season. I know. And thank God we got him long term, too. 
Exactly. So, Tim, uh, go ahead. Yeah, so it's just one of those things where it's, I think Tyson Berry's defensive deficiencies would be better covered by Thomas Shabbat. That's, so you'd get the points with a bit less of the downside. That's true. That the and, Leafs ran into. and also, and earlier we were talking about the possibility of Shabbat being paired with Eric Brandstrom, is that the way I can see that pairing working is, say, Shabbat picks up the puck in his own end, Eric Brandstrom just takes off down the ice, Shabbat just throws it right to him, and he takes off with it. Because yeah. Eric Brandstrom, a lot of people who don't follow the Ottawa Senators, they tend to not realize what a great skater Eric Brandstrom really is. Oh, it's fucking insane, dude. And you know what? Like, it, I have to say, and maybe I'm the minority, but there's a part of me that honestly is of the camp that Branstrom is actually a... I would even say Eric Branstrom is probably the best skater on the team. And that's including Thomas Shabbat. Shabbat's a uh, fantastic skater, but... That's tough. It is tough, but... Shabbat you, is a fantastic skater, so is Branstrom, and Anthony Duclair has a set of wheels on him as well. He does, but... You know, you look at how Eric Brastrom moves on the ice, and given he's a smaller guy, he definitely has his wheels. Shabbat has his wheels, but I'm not saying you can make a great argument for it, but I'm saying you can maybe make a small argument that Eric Brastrom is the best skater on the team, including with Thomas Shabbat. Yeah. It'd be fun to watch. And one of the nice things with and this is kind of surprising, is uh, Ottawa's defense, in terms of giving up shots, was better with Branstrom on the ice than it was without him on the ice. Like, which is pretty surprising for a young defenseman. And, like, the thing was, is I remember watching Branstrom, and I never noticed him. And for an offensive defenseman, that's bad. But for a young guy... That means he's not making egregious mistakes. So I'm hoping that, like, once he kind of gets his NHL legs, we're going to see that speed. And we started to see some of the playmaking intelligence that Brandstrom has on display. Mm -hmm. I want to see more of that. Yeah, and going back to Tyson Berry, and and I imagine Tyson Berry's more known as a shooter than a passer. Could you imagine if they were to pair Brandstrom with Berry? Oh, that'd that'd be fast. Yeah, especially on, like, say, the power play. Oh, so good. Even if it's, like, because, like, nobody, like, Branstrom's not going to take the first lane power play away from Shabbat. Like, he's a second-pairing power play guy. But can you imagine him and Barry, or, say, Shabbat and Barry on the power play? (laughs) Well, which forward do you take off? Um, hmm. See, that's tough, because... That's a really tough one because honestly, I think I look at the guys who are on the power play, and it's like that's going to be very, very tough to try and pick one. Maybe Connor Brown. I could see Connor Brown, but I would say if Tyler Ennis was still with the team, I would say take him off and put Barry on. But, yeah, but I thought that was I don't even remember off the top of my head if Ennis ever played power play minutes this season. He might have. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I can check. Okay. Uh, he well, probably played. I, th- I think he did. He must have. Yeah, let me just... Man, 
I know I say this every time, but uh, what am I saying? Yeah, he played power play time. Uh, Blake McAvoy's hockey viz is such a nice interface for just like understanding hockey statistics. Now, this was a comment that I know you made in our third season too. Is that you were saying? Because he, you correct me if I'm wrong, but he updated it, correct? Yes, and uh, he also helped NHL.com make their game flow. So uh, basically, what it is is it's kind of the shot, like the shot in possession tide, and uh, the you basically have kind of waves for each team, and it shows you how with how much intensity each t- side is playing. So if like both sides have like very wide waves going out, that means it's basically t- teams are both flying and exchanging shots. If one team has a narrow wave and one team has a big wave, it's uh, the team with the big wave is just pounding the team with the smaller wave. And if they both have small waves, nothing's really happening. And basically what they're doing is uh, they're using, I think it's a Gaussian smooth. So basically uh, they take just shots as they happen in time. So those are naturally, those are events and not really a distribution, so to speak. So they fit a distribution based on shots as they're happening to make a smooth wave to kind of show how the game's progressing. The math behind it's cool. And there goes our listeners. Yep. Well, <laughs> you know, Tim, I think the only way we could probably get our listeners back is by maybe moving away from some sense talk and talking about some stuff that we've been up to, because over the last couple of episodes, I've been talking about, I've been really, really getting into the last dance on Netflix, the, the Chicago bulls miniseries. They're, the last four episodes are really the ones that I think if I'm not mistaken. The last time we talked, I talked about how I wish that they would talk about, you know, the dream team, Michael's gambling habits and some of the other stuff he was doing. And the last four episodes are really, they delve into that. Like they delve into the dream team. They delve into his gambling habits. And the last two episodes that came out today, they were talking about Michael's, career in baseball and then his return to the NBA and going 72 and 10 winning the championship. It's one of those things that I was watching that. And the one thing, when you look back, the one thing that I have a great appreciation and I'm not a diehard basketball fan is that you really, really have a great appreciation. Just how great that Chicago bulls team was in the nineties. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. They're evil even able to assemble that sucker. It's true. And the fact is like you got Scotty Pippen under contract, I think for like seven years. And he was one of the lower paid players in the league. And that was always a sticking point for him was that, okay, well I'm one of the top players in the league. I'm not being paid that way. And he was better about that. But yet the bulls owner never wanted to renegotiate contracts. So, well, I mean, why would you? <laughs> exactly. And and if that's your policy, then, hey, that's your policy. But the one thing I was thinking about this watching this documentary is that, you know, like, nowadays when you watch teams like the Cleveland Cavaliers or the Golden State Warriors, who went on to win, like, NBA title after NBA title, is that really... I think those teams had kind of an easier road to get to the finals than the Bulls did. Because if you go back and look at those playoff years, those 91, 90, like both three-peat runs, they weren't going up against, you know, Cinderella eight-seeded teams in the Eastern Conference Finals. Who were they going up against? Well, they're going up against the bad boy Pistons. They were going up against the Celtics. They were going up against 
Shaq's the Knicks, the Chicago, uh, not Chicago, they were going up against uh, Shaq and the Orlando Magic. They were going up against Reggie Miller and the Indiana Pacers. Like, they were going up against the freaking powerhouses of the East just to get to the finals. Yeah, and that's just one of the things that I think uh, the modern NBA is weird. Even though it's a salary cap league, and I guess this is one of the results of a soft salary cap, is there's only a few elite teams. That is true. And while, I mean, you can definitely make the argument... And none of them are in the East. Exactly. You can make the argument, even in the 90s, that there were only a handful of elite teams because... Really, the elite teams in the NBA were the Bulls. You can make an argument for the Utah Jazz. And the Knicks, maybe. I would, Celtics. This, uh, not even the Celtics. The Celtics really started to fall apart by the 90s. Both the Celtics and the Lakers. The bad boy Pistons were definitely in that category in the late 80s, early 90s. But, and that's funny. Like, like I said, I'm, when watching this, that's the appreciation is that the Bulls never had an easy road to get to the finals. And when they got to the finals, they're once again, not going up against Cinderella teams. They're going up against Magic Johnson and the Lakers. They're going against Clyde Drexler and the Portland Trailblazers. They're going against Charles Barkley and the Phoenix Suns. Yeah. And that's like, it's funny because uh, the NBA is definitely a strong link league where it's your stars do the work. And, I think it's between that and the small bench size, you really get so much out of the stars where it's, yeah, a team that has like two or three superstars is just going to smash everyone. Yeah. Like, look at what Toronto was able to do with Ka- Kawhi Leonard and why am I blanking on? Yeah, there was uh, him, there was Kyle Lowry. There Kyle was, Lowry. Um, uh, Pascal. Uh, Pascal Seacamp out of nowhere. Yeah. But and that, that, Fred Flint coming out as a defense, like defensive maestro. Yeah, but isn't that funny? Like, it, even in the history of the Toronto Raptors, you go back to say the Vince Carter years. Is that really? They might have had that one superstar, but they were very, very good at surrounding him with some really good players. Like with Vince Carter, they put him up against Charles Oakley, who, funny enough, played on those. 90s Bulls teams he played with the Knicks he played for those kind of teams and they were able to surround Vince Carter with a good team same thing when Kyle Lowry came around and then next thing you know they go out and they get Kawhi Leonard yeah because DeMar DeRozan didn't work out I I wouldn't necessarily say that he definitely was great he was was really good in the playoffs but they never broke through well Cleveland but they never beat LeBron. <laughs> yeah, and that was funny. And even with LeBron, is that he was definitely the tops of the Eastern Conference. But really, if you really look at the roads that the Cavaliers, or hell, even the Miami Heat went through in those years, were they really going up against the elite teams? Because the elite teams were them. Oh yeah, the East has been, the East is almost, like, there's only, re, like, in the last 15 years, there's only really been one very good or elite team in the East at a time. It seems like almost all the good teams are out West, because you have the, Ma- like, the Mavericks, Golden State. You have the Spurs for a long time. Spurs. 
the Clippers or the Lakers. Or even the Houston Rockets. Or Houston, yeah. It's just like all the good teams. Oh, and OK City back when uh, it was more than just uh, Westbrook. Yeah. Actually, speaking of, of the Oklahoma City Thunder, is that then in the second three-peat, again, Michael's not going up against a scrub team in the West. He's going up against Gary Payton and Sean Kemp and the Seattle Supersonics. It's always a basic that Seattle's just not able to keep teams, eh? Well, and it's, you know what's really funny? If you were to go back to, like, 94, 95, 96, in those three years, like, Seattle had three of the big four. They almost lost two of them in the process. They almost lost the Mariners. Like, people don't realize how close they came to losing the Mariners. And they came really close to losing the Seahawks, too. Yeah, holy shit. They almost would have had none. Yeah, thanks a lot, Kingdom. Yeah. Well, I mean, thanks a lot. Well, it's cool that, well, I mean, uh, with the Key Arena coming coming back online, who knows, if the NBA wants to expand, maybe there is room for a new Seattle team. Well, they've been talking for a long time about putting an NBA team back into Seattle, and there was even talks if they come back to Canada that Vancouver's going to be the number one city because they already have a building. Well, I mean, I wonder if you could uh, refit the Centre Bell for uh, a Montreal basketball team, but then again, I, because I have to admit, well, I guess it's Montreal is just very fickle with teams. It is, I, but also you got to factor in is that the geography of Montreal is already pretty full with NBA teams because in that area you have well the raptors are in toronto you have the boston celtics you have the 76ers uh who else i mean fair and the knicks and the knicks and the nets like yeah but who cares about the nets yeah that's true literally no one yeah that's a good point but uh but no like i said guys if you haven't gone to check out the last dance episode seven and eight came out today i thought it was really really good and i've really been fascinated with it so I highly recommend go checking it out. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, yeah, if you're into whatever Michael Jordan's life is. Yeah, but you know what's funny? And um, I was thinking about this today. Could you imagine if they were to do a Last Dance-style miniseries about the post-2017 playoff run of the Senators? I just want to see what was going on behind closed doors. Because, like... Yeah, it's like after Brian Murray passed away, the wheels just fell off the damn bus. But the funny thing about that is that I often wonder how much they will actually get out of those players because a number of those players and a number of the managers of the team are still active. Usually when stuff like this comes out, it comes out post-career. For sure. So I wonder how much you're going to get out of Eric Carlson, how much you're going to get out of Mike Hoffman, how much you're going to get out of Mark Stone. How much you get? Mike Hoffman, probably nothing. You'll get because the poor bastard's already been to court over it. You know how much are you going to get out of Eugene or even Pierre Dorian? What I think will happen is you'll probably get stuff out of Zach Smith. You'll probably get stuff out of Craig Anderson. Craig, I maybe not Craig Anderson. You might get some stuff out of well, Chris Neal was gone. Borvietsky would probably tell it in a funny way. But it's like, yeah, I think it's kind of the guys who were there for a while, but uh, 
probably aren't like the super core that are probably more willing to talk, kind of like your Brian McGrattan's in that sort of way. Yeah, but McGrattan even wasn't with that Sens team by that point. He was, I think he was already out of the NHL. Oh, he was out of the NHL, but that's why we heard things about uh, like how things were going sideways with the Senators after the Stanley Cup fun, after the Stanley Cup run. You know what? I still want to get, I still want to hear somebody like a Danny Heatley or Wade Redden on Spit and Chicklets talking stories about that era of the Senators because there must have been some crazy stories that come out of that especially with teammates like Ray Emery on their roster yeah. well apparently Daniel Danny Alfredson once paid Ray Emery 500 bucks to eat a cockroach see these are the kind of stories that we need to know Tim yeah it's just the thing is I think it's going to be kind of those not the central you probably won't get that many stories out of the central players of the Senators just given kind of the way those players are or at least present themselves to be. True. Like, it'd be weird if Daniel Alfredson did a tell-all, you know? That's like, true. it would just be weird. It would be really weird. It would be weird. So, like, I couldn't imagine, say, Eric Carlson or Kyle Turris doing that sort of thing either. No, or even Dion Phaneuf. Yeah. Um, but at the same time... But actually, do you think Mark Mathot would actually tell some of those stories? He might, but he was gone. Like he was gone by the time the real dysfunction began. Yeah, or at least the dysfunction became apparent. True. Uh, I was gonna say Pajot probably won't tell those kind of stories. Yeah, I don't. Jodio Duya would. That would be an interesting perspective, though. Like you get brought in, and your fly at the wall take us. The fuck is going on here? Yep. Same with like a Gabriel Dumont. You're here for like four months, and the worst of it. I totally forgot that Dumont was a player. God, we hated him. Or Gabriel or Chris DiDomenico. Dito. Who I still believe got, a sh- got the short end of the stick. Or our favorite player of the podcast, Yerky Yokopaka. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, I think it would be kind of the, you'd be interested to see like the fly on the wall players for that 20, that 2017, 2018 cent season. Like that'd be interesting stuff. Yeah, I don't think it would be as good as The Last Dance is because, again, you're not getting a lot of the star players talking about that time. No. Although, Alex Burroughs might tell some of those stories. He could. I don't know. That would be interesting to find out. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe we're just kind of discounting it and maybe hockey loosens up in the next five years and then, yeah, like you get some stories out of Turris or Borbietsky or something. Yeah, that's true. So, Tim, you know, I've been yabbering on about, you know, the last dance and whatever, and I even haven't got a chance to ask you, what have you been up to the last couple of weeks outside of, you know, being socially distant and working from home? Honestly, not too much. Uh, I'm not sure if I've mentioned it previously, but we're running, I'm running an online card card league because I usually play uh, anime cards uh, every Friday at the local card shop. Obviously, that's not going to be a thing, so... We're doing an online league, and uh, once social distancing comes off and we can uh, have more than two people in a room together, we're going to have a top, kind of a top cut for the win. So we'll top cut to eight people, and uh, the winner gets to take home the Timpitational Trophy. Now, is it an actual trophy, or is it a something other than that? Uh, so we made it out of things we found at Value Village. Okay. 
So uh, it is some, it's somewhat fake trophy from a wedding. Like it's a fake Oscar nice. that we then glued to a spice rack. And the arms of the spice rack, Chelsea uh, hot glued uh, crappy promo cards right. to kind of make, uh, you know how like a, like the sports trophies that leagues have kind of have those shiny bars holding up the platform that the actual trophy sits on. Yep. We made it to look like that with the promo cards and then taped over that. And uh, my plan for adding tears to the trophy is we're going to nail used router, used routers to the bottom. I'm not going to lie. You need to send me a photo of this now, because honestly, I'm trying to picture that in my mind. And I don't think I could come up with something as ridiculous as what you're trying to tell me. I don't actually have the trophy right now. Last year's winner has it. Yeah, so whenever you get a chance to see the trophy next time, definitely take a snap and uh, send it my way. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm going to have to nail a router to the bottom of it. Yeah, there you go. Actually, I was going to quickly ask you, uh, I saw on Twitter something about Animal Crossing going down or something. I wanted to ask you real quick, because I know you've been really into that game. Oh, yeah, so what happened is the web servers went down. Okay. So, I, uh, basically, it's just a server outage. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, because I saw know, that on Twitter, and I was like, oh, i got to ask Tim about this. Yeah, I've been trying to wind down the amount I've been playing that game a bit, to be honest. Yeah. I, I will say I am really impressed with the creativity of the creations that people come up with those with the characters in the game. Because I think yep. our Bod Kelly actually came up with a... Her character was wearing a Sans jersey. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw that. That was really well done. It's definitely better than what Chelsea and I have elected to do with our time in the game. Yeah, what do you guys elect me to do? Uh, we recreated a scene from a famous gay porno. Uh, okay. I'm not... It's You know what? I'm leaving that pause in now. joke called Gachimuchi. It sometimes shows up in those ridiculous MLG montage parodies. Uh where you have a guy who's dressed up like he's just going to a leather club, walking into a random locker room. And the reason why it became a giant in-joke on the internet is because uh, the Japanese got a hold of it, and they thought that uh, they were, like, it, the way that the models speak is just really oddly slurred. So they thought they were saying, like, random Japanese words. So then the Japanese just started editing it into everything. So, like, someone made a remix that makes it look like it's out of Bayonetta and shit like that. Right. Yeah, so it's called Gachimuchi, and it's, it's definitely a big dumb in-joke. And you'll be surprised how many people actually quote this stupid porno. You know, Tim, in the history of the show, I never ever thought we would be talking about this kind of stuff. To be fair. <laughs> okay, First of all, the silicone nutsack injections do not, kind of, don't count. Why don't they? This is definitely in the same vein. I mean, it's entirely in the same vein. Why we had over, over 300-something listens over the last two episodes, Tim, I will never understand now. <laughs> I mean, if, if you've gotten it to hour one of Third Blind Plugs... I don't thank God our show is only an hour, if that. Oh, yeah. You just hear all the other weird shit the tips put time into. 
Yeah. Actually, uh, speaking of gaming, one game I actually had but a little bit of time into, and actually I got onto it because a couple of my buddies have been playing it, has been the Call of Duty Warzone. The uh, the Battle Royale game that, the, of the new Call of Duty game that came out. And I, I played it a little bit, and I actually think it's kind of fun. I really, really got sick of the whole Battle Royale genre of games because when Fortnite and Apex Legends were huge, I played that a bit with my buddies, and I was just like, okay, like... It was fun. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and talk shit about Fortnite, but honestly, I played it, and I was like, yeah, eh, it's all right. And I had no interest. And then, of course, this game comes out, and... I think because I am more accustomed to playing the Call of Duty games, because again, like I played first-person shooters and whatever, and I think they're fun. But I thought I think it's cool. I might check it out later on tonight after I edit up this episode just to play it for a little bit. Yeah, you know, I'm not gonna lie. It's been at least five years since I played a Call of Duty game. Like I know uh, back in high school, uh, I had not great taste to play a shitload of Call of Duty. Yeah, yeah but, I, but the thing is, you balance that out by playing a lot of NHL 10 as well. Yeah, and Halo. And Halo, yeah. yeah it's like, That's uh, a series I never actually first played. shooters a bit more lately, so I've been playing more Halo. Like, I think between that and uh, me watching cartoons on the Xbox One, that's all I really use it for. Oh, and I guess Grand Theft Auto Five. Yeah, GTA Five is still fun, though. Yeah, I guess, like... That's actually one of the things I've been thinking about lately is uh, I'm not sure I'm going to bother with uh, one of the next-gen consoles, uh, the Xbox Series X or the PS5, because I bought so few games for this generation of consoles, and I have both. Sorry, I have the Xbox, I have the PS5, I have the Switch, and I have the Wii U. And the only one I've really bought a lot of games for is, well, I bought a lot of games for the Wii U and the Switch. True, but, I have. but, but the thing is, Tim, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, because I know for myself that like I have a PS4, I have my games for it, but I think because to me it's it's not so much that the games are not good. The games are fantastic, but it's just the amount of money you have to put into it and all the time that goes into updating the games and everything that goes into it. And also you factor in the time that I would actually have to play the games. Because really my time I'm at work I work out, I play hockey, and I come home and watch the Sens games. That's basically my life right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny because, like, I feel like I'm actually playing more games. Like, I'm playing this, I'll play the Switch, I'll play game. I've got games on PC, I'm watching anime. I'm, like, it's like, it's funny because it's, I feel like, uh, just the amount of games that I would be interested in, I think is kind of, a lot of them are on PC now. And I guess that's also making it a bit of a harder sell for the consoles. Because it's like, sure, I could buy the console or I could just use my PC, which is as powerful as the consoles are going to be. Exactly. And with everything on Steam or whatever kind of platform you're using online, everything's right there. You don't have... I, I mean, I don't have Steam myself, but would you have to update the games like you would if you have a console? Uh, yeah, but it's... Uh... I find because my computer is powerful enough and uh, it's just as fast and the computer probably installs it a bit faster. For whatever reason, the way that Steam handles uh, downloads and updates, if you have the, it will install the game with the patch and it might just be the way that 
Steam store, the Steam store is set up versus the way that uh, games on disc or games on Xbox store and the PlayStation store work. I find that, yeah, once I install the game, it just has to run, do its uh, C++ redistribute, and then you're into the game once it downloads. And the games, even big games, download pretty quick. So, like, uh, I re-put this, like, uh, when I rebuilt the computer, I forget which... But then again, I guess I'm, the games I'm building or playing right now aren't that big. Like, City, City Skylines, I don't think it's bigger than 30 gigs, so it's not a big game. Wow. That was a sentence. Yeah. Well, in fairness, I mean, Call of Duty Warzone is like 100 gigs. There's no reason for that. And all it is is a fucking Battle Royale game. And it's and free. It's a free download game. It's not you're like you're paying 80 bucks for it. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just the size of these games, and it's like, I don't, like, the logic doesn't take up much space. I guess it's just they've gone to ridiculous lengths for the assets, and at this point, I wonder how much you actually notice the difference. True, because I know the one thing that... Because I've been also playing a lot of NHL 20 on my PS4, and the one thing that I notice is even that game is not 100 gigs. It's maybe 80-something gigs, if that. Yeah. And actually, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about NHL 20 because, you know, they were one of the games that... I really had no interest in buying. Yes, because Austin Matthews is on the cover. That's a big sticking point for me. You know, no biggie. <laughs> but also because, again, like I have, like I had 18, and 18 was not bad. The only reason I bought it is because there's the expansion team mode in that where you can use, you can either build your own expansion team or you can be the Vegas Golden Knights expansion. And that was the only mode that I played on that. I didn't play the main game, I didn't play any of the other. World of Shell or whatever the hell it's called. But the one thing about NHL 20 is I was doing a lot of the the connected GM mode, and I yep. love it because I love being the arm, the, uh, you know, the fucking arm GM. I love being yep. that guy. I loved it back in the day, and I love it now. And also, as the Ottawa Senators, I was, I was telling you on our break, is that I was playing that, and I was the Ottawa Senators in the 1920 season. I finished dead last in the NHL as the Senators. The draft logger came along and I'm thinking, all right, come on, left run year, we're going to get him. The Sens dropped to four. Montreal moved up from like 12 to one. I went, are you fucking kidding me? God damn. But it worked out fine because honestly, yeah, it was like Lafreniere went first, Byfield went second. I ended up with Alexander Holtz. Which was actually not a bad pickup because then I had a line of Dechuck, Colin White, and Alexander Holtz. But falling down to fourth, Jesus. I went from one to four, Tim. It's awful. Same. But I do have my criticisms with the game. The big thing for me, I don't know what your thoughts are on James Sabolski as a sportscaster. Not familiar. He is terrible as the play-by-play man of that game. He is just so... He's really sticks out like a sore thumb. I listened to his voice. I listened... I played the game... Like, I played one game with him. I turned it off. Like, I turned the... The the play-by-play voice all the way to zero. 
because it was that distracting. It was like you had him and I can't remember who else the other guy was, but they, they both talk in like the same sort of tone, the same sort of range. Like there was oh. no difference. And Sabolski is not a good play by play man in that game. And it, I hate to say it, but it honestly made me, it made me miss Doc Emmerich and Eddie Ochek a little bit in the Angel 18. That's because Doc, I like Doc and Eddie. At but, least in the game. Sure, their quotes are reused. Exactly. The games. I don't think they ever updated their fucking, uh, their lines in any of those games. Because I'm thinking it's the exact same lines from like NHL 15. Yeah. And that's one of the things I'm hoping with uh, 2K coming back. If they, co- I hope they come back to hockey. Yeah, that's the one thing with 2K is that because Doc and Eddie aren't doing the EA games anymore, does 2K go after them now? If say, well, if say 2K does NHL games now. The, the more abstract point is maybe EA will have to try because there's some competition in the hockey market now. That is true. You know what we really need is, like, say 2K comes back, what we need, a third company to come in to do an arcade-style game like an NHL Hits or a Wayne Gretzky's 3D Hockey. Oh, hell yeah. That's what we're missing. But talking about the EA play-by-play and the commentary teams that they have for the NHL games is that, historically, they've always been very, very good. Like, even going back to the, the old 3D games, like, they had Jim Houston and Bill Clement, and then they went to... I'm trying to think. Yeah, I think it was, like... I remember what years it was. I think it was like 97 or 98. They went Houston and Clement right up until NHL 2002 came out where it was like Jim Houston and Don Taylor for two years. And then I think it was like Jim Houston and Craig Simpson. And then Gary Thorne came in and it was just like, oh, it's been fantastic. Yeah, the Gary Thorne was fantastic. Yeah, and that was the one thing that 2K always had over them is that they both had... Gary Thorne and Bill Clement, who were doing the commentary for the, I guess, at the time, the NHL and ABC, and then when ESPN had the NHL rights as well. Yeah. And it's definitely one of the things I remember I had at NHL 99 for the N64, and uh, due to the limitations of that console, one of the things that went out the window was the commentary. It was just Bill Clement. Yeah, it was Bill Clement. That's all it was. Tried to do it himself, but also try to be, like, edgy fun. It was kind of weird. I know. I know that there was... I, you know what? I think of NHL 99. I'm going to quickly read you... <coughs> excuse me. I think it was like IGN. This was a review they had for that game on NHL 99 commenting about the commentary. Uh, let's have a look here. NHL 99 review. Because it was one of those things... I think the comment that they made is that he sounds like... The janitor at like 2 a.m. just came in and did the commentary. He sounded so tired and not into it. Yeah, I just remember uh, the last time I really sunk any time into 99 was I was playing with a buddy in uh, residence and like uh, I was like the goal, like the goalie turns away the puck. He's like, no, I'm like, is this is this what we're doing here? Okay, here it is. He says, 
EA just hasn't offered the goods in the play-by-play on the N64 yet. NHL 99 is probably the worst example because it sticks out like a sore thumb. Bill Clement, commentator for ESPN, offers some of the lamest, most generic comments during the game, and some are just painful to hear. The nominee for worst play call goes to NHL 99. Nail an offensive mad hard and hear Bill Clement exclaim, a freight train, choo-choo. It's in, like, the dumbest voice, too. He's like, train, train. I know it's... Yeah, but, like, uh, Bill Clement and Gary Thorne on the Xbox 360 PS3 versions. Ooh, good stuff. I know, and isn't that funny that when we did our top five favorite video games from a few years ago, the games that you and I both put at number one, Bill Clement and Gary Thorne were the commentators for both those games. It was Angel 10 and Angel 12. Yeah. And it's a shame, though, because, like, I, for NHL 15, I really did like Doc Emmerich. Yeah, Doc, but... Doc Emmerich, that's the one thing. Like, he, he's not a bad hockey, or hockey, hockey commentator. I do think at times his voice does get a little tiring after a while, but I don't think he's done a bad job. No, and I did like having an on-ice commentator with Ray Ferraro. I know, and this is the thing I always wanted to do with EA. I know this is going to be super hard, excuse me, super hard for them to do. But a nice little touch that I would do is, say you have the commentators for the EA games be whoever they have now, like Jason Bolsky, whatever. But the on-ice guy, maybe get the guy who does it for the actual teams. Like, say, if we play as the Ottawa Senators, we should have either Ray Ferraro or Jamie McLennan in between the benches. You know, I bet a lot of the hockey guys, like, if you hit them up over the summer, they like, uh, the TSN guys, they do it. Oh, hands down. Even if, uh, yeah, even if you just get them to do, like, a couple of lines, not, not like, those kind of lines, but, you know, if you, if you get them to read a couple of lines for their games, I'm sure they'd be down for it. Yeah, and you do that, get, yeah, a bunch of guys read a few lines every year, I'm sure they'd be down. Uh, you have a lot fresher of experience. And actually, it's really funny because it reminds me of what uh, NHL, sorry, like the 2K games used to do is they'd uh, update the board ads throughout the game, throughout the season. You could just do shit like that. True. I think the problem with the EA games is that because they do it yearly, that's probably why they don't implement those kind of changes every year maybe that's why they every like three four years they decide to change it up yeah but i mean it's like uh it's one of those things where you can just kind if you're if you're doing it yearly like if you can build ways to freshen up a yearly game within the year cycle and over a few years if you're intentional about it yeah and it just feels like the EA games got a bit lazy. Well, in fairness, it's not like they can't do it because with the EA NFL games, there was an update in the game where you can update the commentary as well. Like, I remember when the Colin Kaepernick stuff came out, part of the commentary was about Colin Kaepernick as well in real time. Yeah, that's cool. But it's like, I think... Uh... Correct me if I'm wrong, but there are other companies that make football games, so EA, I think, has to be a bit more... Actually, no, people just go back and play NFL 2K5. Honestly, at the moment, no, EA's the only company. Right, because uh, 2K5, uh, 
booty blasted them so hard EA bought the Monopoly. Yeah, and you know what? Isn't that hilarious that in 2004, 2K, for both sports that they were doing games for, they did a better game than EA did. Because think about it. NFL put out 2K5, and 2K also put out ESPN NHL 2K5 in the same year. That again, ESPN 2K5 was a really solid base game. It was really solid, and I remember liking it more than NHL 2005. Yeah, NHL 5 and 06 were kind of a mess, if I remember correctly. Off the top of my head, yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, I haven't played those games in years, I couldn't tell you. But- and then NHL, NHL 07 was the first year they implemented the skill stick, and it didn't go well. Something like that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's when they really started to push that. Because if I'm not mistaken, I think in NHL 2003, you kind of had that too. But it was really more on the right thumbstick. You could only do left and right. And it was just like left, right, left, right. You couldn't do like the crazy dangles and stuff that you can do in the games now. But I think it was in like 2004. I think that's when they really started to implement the skill stick of the not. Yeah. I'll double check on that. I, I think it was 2004 they did it on. It, it just really feels like they haven't had like a big break, kind of breakthrough or change in those games since the skill stick, really. And it feels like features have been kind of either been marginal or kind of disappearing. Honestly, I would even argue they really haven't put out a game that across the board everybody really liked since debatably NHL. 12? Angel? Maybe? I'd probably say 10 or 12, yeah. Yeah. Actually, I remember having a lot of fun with 12. Yeah, 12 was the one that I probably sunk the most time into. 10, I definitely played and liked it, but yeah, 12 was the one that I sunk the most time into. EA should bring back custom arena music. Just saying. You know what the you know what EA should really do? Why don't they actually have the legit goal horns for these teams? Or, no, never mind, they do have those. But I'm saying, not so much the goal horns, but the goal songs that come with it. How freaking hard can that be? Licensing. Well, that's not... I guess it's not hard. It's not hard because EA does the goal songs for the Anaheim Docks. They do goal songs for other teams, like a handful of teams in the game. So why is it that, say for the Senators, how hard can it get to get song two by Blur? Yeah... Like, yeah, do they at least have Chelsea Dagger? I think they have Chelsea Dagger. I think that's one of the songs they have for the Blackhawks. Yeah, because if you fuck up Chicago, then NBC's out of there. Yeah. But in fairness, for the longest time, they also had the Pittsburgh Penguins goal song as well, Party Hard by Andrew WK. Nice. But I miss having uh, goal songs being Dragon Force. I know you do, Tim. Just saying. Yeah. So before we go, Tim, I, I there is one thing I actually wanted to get you to plug, and I know that Chelsea's been doing some streaming online. Do you want to plug that a little bit before we head off into the close? Yeah, so uh, Chelsea's mostly been playing uh, Death Stranding on Twitch. We try to play at least once a week, usually on Saturday or Sunday. Uh, we've also been uh, doing a minecraft server up with her friends and uh, she's thinking about streaming that so uh if you want to check it out uh 
I'll try to post it on my Twitter, uh, but her Twitch is uh, Miko nine with five nines. Uh, so yeah, give it a look. Solid. So Tim, do you have anything you want to comment on before we head off into the close for another episode? Uh, I'll try to keep the weird stories to a minimum going forward. Tim, you know that's not going to happen. That's true. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network. We can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. You can also find us on Twitter at Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901 Honey Badger and at Great Red Gipster, GR8 WYTE Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about today's episode about shooting the shit, shoot us an email, thirdlinebooksensecast at gmail.com. Actually, you know what, Tim? There is one thing I do want to comment on before we head off into the close. Is that a few weeks ago, I got a chance to listen to the interview Brandon Mackey did with Brock McGillis. Right. And I think, we'll, we'll just take a minute here to talk a little bit about that because... I don't know if you got a chance to listen to it, Tim, and I know that I know you're not a big podcast guy, but I highly recommend it. you check it out as well because I heard it and I was floored. I was like, "Whoa!" Like I was not expecting that. Yeah, it was a pretty heavy episode, and honestly, I reached out to him afterwards and I said, "You know what? You know, you did a fantastic episode," and I also gave him some heads up. Or not, 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 not so much a heads up, but you know, just gave him some props about you know because I've been listening to his the Internal Budget podcast. And the one thing I've noticed is that he has actually getting, he's getting better as a podcast host. And especially when I was listening to his episodes with Ian Mendez and Haley Selvane was that he didn't sound nervous at all talking to them as opposed yeah. to when we talked to Ian and you could tell like we were nervous talking to him. Well, to be fair, it was our fir first really big interview. Although I guess, uh, yeah, I think I'd say it was our first really big interview. True, but it was also one of his first big interviews for the podcast, too, if you want to exclude Finnegan's Ghost. Yeah, true, true, true. Actually, you know what? I would love to get Finnegan's Ghost on the podcast. He'd be, that'd be great. That'd be funny. There's a, yeah, there's a number of people on Twitter. Maybe I should start reaching out to some of these people and see if they want to come on, because, you know, with no hockey on, we need to get some content. Yeah. And we would love to talk to them, too. For sure. Until next time, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jetsy. Go Sands, guys.